The drugs almost got me. My best friend was Oxy. She got the worst out of me. My mama couldn't stop it. She ain't know about me. My close friends was all fiends. For money, that's false. What I learned from that cost me. I damn near lost me. I damn near lost me. Oh, I damn near lost me. You ever had a nigga try to make your car a coffin? You ever got pulled over and your niggas had it all with them? Nah, I don't think he did that, look. I ain't no gangster nigga or street nigga will do that often. But the way my life set up, I knew all them. But the way my life set up, uh, 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 the pain won't stop me, the rain won't stop me. I know God can stop me, but He ain't gon' stop me, cause He the one who brought me. I don't see why my back band for shit that was not me. Uh, the pain won't stop me. Alright, right, Quentin, we are back. And uh, this week we are Action Vice. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple IWTV specials. Quentin, how you been? I'm great. Uh, you convinced me to stop watching Archer for one second to come record a podcast. So yes, yes. everyone be thankful that I showed up tonight. <laughs> last week, uh, last week we had some technical difficulties kind of late in yeah. the game, so nothing happened. I thought about doing a solo thing but just to pop in and say you know whatever and then i was like ah, should i pop in and say something about the you know everything going on with the supreme court should i worry about it nah, nah, nah. Like, and i just was like whatever i'm just gonna we live in we live in hell so it's like no, 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 we, not, much, not much not much we can do about that just yeah no nope um but uh we were going to talk about i figured give a shout out to uh we don't know wrestling namesake podcast network namesake. Uh, we don't know wrestling returning, um, and uh, we've now got Quentin or not Quentin. We got Sam back doing. He was doing some news. Did you get a chance to listen to the uh, the new episode of We Don't I Know not, Wrestling? That makes me a terrible uh, mascot for the brand. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Well, either way, uh, it's back. It's definitely a new format solo with just Sam and uh, doing a lot of news notes. So I thought, you know what, we, we you know, we, we used to kind of do some news notes here and there, but if we got Sam on the network and he's doing news and, and the little stuff like that, maybe we don't have to worry about it as much. But I did think, you know, last week we were going to talk about DDT and New Japan, uh, Maximum Bump and Dontaku. I don't know if you ended up watching those shows. I did. I did. Um, Obviously, like I think, not, not great. great. The big takeaway was definitely, at least for me, how to how disappointing UNO and Endo wound up being, and like it was it was alarmingly yeah. bad. I felt, uh, but but I yeah, agree. that was a big takeaway. Yeah. I mean, like Okada and Naito is good. It's not. It, I don't. I thought that. I thought that was one of the worst matches from them I've seen. I feel like there's like a baseline of good that they hit. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just like, sure. And then sure. also, it's been weird to see the reaction to the best of the Super Juniors lineup. And while I talked about Francesca Wakira being like an interesting yeah. addition, I wasn't like, oh man, I'm super intrigued about where this goes. And now, because Bullet Club is reformed in New Japan, because there's Wheeler Yuta and Ace Austin in best of Super Juniors, it means uh, 
New Japan is back, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted it out. I'm honestly more than Yuta. I know a lot of people are very excited for Yuta. I was, I would honestly like to get excited for Ace Austin being in there. I, you know, put this out there, but like, he's not going to be a focus. He's not going to be like one of the important key people in it. So, New Japan 2022, fucking in the Super Juniors tournament, all that, like, you're not going to, he's not going to get enough to matter to where he's going to stand out. He's going to get any attention. Anyone's going to really going to matter or notice him more from this. And, uh, you know, Ace Austin's actually pretty good and like probably does deserve to get a shot in a, a super juniors from like five, six years ago where like people would actually be, be paying attention and something like this would be actually do some good for him. Um, you know, got got Zayn in there as well. Who like I don't know. I've cooled off on Zayn a lot since since he's come back. Um, yeah, since leaving and, and going to WWE and coming back, I've really, really he really feels like he's missed a step. To me, I think the most exciting thing about it is El yeah. Lindeman. Um, pretty excited to see what he can do in there. Um, and someone like a Do- Doki and El Lindeman, I think, could end up having one of I the think, best matches I, I, of the think, tournament. You also got Lindeman yeah, think, and, and I think Eagles. That, I think that's being. I think Despy and Linda are in the same block. Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the block, and honestly, that's the killer block. It's the B block, and it's got Linda. You got Linda and Eagles, which I think will be great, because um, Eagles can be really fucking good. You got Despy, um, Despy, and either of them, Linda or or Eagles, are going to have a great match because Despy's fucking awesome. I think Doki can have a really good match with someone like Lindaman. You got Yuta as well. And I think he can have a good match with yeah, all the people yeah, that I just yeah, mentioned. Yeah, and you got TJP who block. And then you mentioned TJP. Yeah. People like for a bunch of different reasons don't like TJP, but TJP is still still really good sure. if you do if you watch him. Yeah, you got Teton who I've I've liked in the past, but I can't say that I've followed him much in the past like three to four years. So I can't even say what he's been like, but he's been serviceable to where I think that a Despi a Robbie Eagles, even a Yuta can get something out of him. I think TJP also probably could get something out of him. So those can be decent matches. Master Watto bringing up the rear, but surprisingly has has improved. The tag team with Taguchi, I think, has really brought he's out a lot a, of the the, not, the positives from Watto. Like I think, yeah. it, it was weird when he came back and everything. No. But I was just like, he's not a bad wrestler, man. He's he's fine. No, no, and. Uh, and I think that the, the weakest of the bunch is Bushi, honestly. And he has been the weakest of the bunch for the Super Juniors for a while. It's like sometimes it goes between him and Tiger Mask, but Tiger Mask isn't here for this one. So, yeah, I think realistically for the entire block and honestly the entire tournament, the weakest performer is probably Bushi here. Um, so this B block has, has got a lot of good wrestlers in it, honestly. I could see why people are getting super excited, but... But again, it's it's not going to matter because very few people are going to pay attention. It's not going to make a big deal. And they're not going to be given time and, and the chance to flourish like they could have in the past. Um, you think about people like uh, like an ACH or even a Kyle O'Reilly going through the best of the Super Juniors and getting chance after chance to have great matches. Even Kushida, you know, well, people like this well, in the past. And it's just, it, it's not well, that kind of tournament. Now it depends on like the outside influence here. And I think that's where what makes a Wheeler Yuta interesting is that you have the outside influence of AEW yes. and how AEW perceives you and how strongly they've been booking him for the last for the last few weeks as part of the Blackpool Combat Club. So if they're willing to send Willa Yuta over to New Japan, then it has to be like, hey, 
he won't win it. He might not wind up with a bunch of points. We get it. This is his first tour. But, hey, can this guy at least go out there and, you know, get 20 minutes to go out there and go crazy and corking one time? Can he, can, he, can he do that? Can he have a match that is, you know, nerd, nerd bait, Will or Yuta's in Japan killing it kind of stuff versus Linda? You know, just give him give him that kind of spotlight on one of the one of those Kirk nights, and I feel like for an AEW, that's a that's a good trade off, and like you kind of see Wheeler in that ACH um, ricochet spot of someone that like could wind up being the talk of the tournament if they get if they get the chances. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, looking at his block, the only people who I think he can't beat are probably Despy. Bushi and TJP, and I think he could pretty much beat everybody else. So I think that they could end up having him look pretty strong in his block. Honestly, yeah. it's definitely possible. I think um, when you're like when you're doing this in pretty much just talent exchange way, there is that there is some level of you got to protect our guy. But Wheeler is still kind of low in the totem pole, low in the totem pole in AW too. Sure. So if he wound up with four points or six points like it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me right right i know i could definitely see that but just on the hierarchy of things i don't think that he's lower i think that there's only about three people that in the hierarchy of how they're going to protect him that i could see that i just don't think that they would have him beat them at all um but otherwise i mean i think that he could beat pretty much anybody else um in his block so we'll see about that um my my idea bringing this up, talking about Duntaku, um, and then we went off on that, was that we were also going to talk about DDT, and there is kind of a connection there. Um, in when it comes to news, I was talking about talking about news, um, but I will I did want to mention from Max Bump, I think that Mao versus uh, Oscar was actually really fucking good for the Universal Title, so I highly recommend that one. Basically, honestly, might have been for me the best match on the show. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I mean other maybe the tag. Maybe the eruption versus uh, Hiroshima and uh, and uh, Sato match might be might be better, but realistically, I think Mao and Oscar was probably the best match on the show. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely not a, a super strong show, but uh, drama when it comes to New Japan and DDT affiliates connections, Kota Ibushi. Um, did you see any of this story at all? Yes, I did, and this is uh. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Insane? Yeah. So, what I've been able to figure from piecing things together from around the world, including like hidden behind the scenes stuff and, and you know, discords and Slack chats and all this, is that there was some confusion at one point in the storyline that I think confused it for a lot of people, which had to do with basically a source within New Japan for Western media who's who shared a name with a higher up in new Japan. Um, and I think it's Kikuchi, right? That's yeah. the name that, uh, that Abushi is throwing around without any connections. And I think that some people got confused because there's a, a merchandise, someone who works in the merchandise department, whose name is Kikuchi, who's a source for Western media. Um, and I think that there was a confusion that that's who Abushi was talking about. And that's why some people started thinking that this had something to do with merchandise sales. But realistically, it did not. And the entire crux of the issue was just basically the same. A lot of the same stuff that we heard rumblings about early on in COVID um, with the complaints from the Western talent saying that the communication is not there and weird expectations of like 
you're just going to do whatever's best for the company, um, even if it means like insane sacrifices. So basically, them just expecting Kota Ibushi to be able to return way before he's ready and starting to announce him multiple times as returning before he he was ready to return um, ended up being the main thing. And then getting some heat for showing up somewhere on a show, the Just Tap Out show that uh, I guess I don't even get really what that had much to do with other than just being like, fuck off. I don't I don't care about you guys giving me heat for this. Um, so, yeah, uh, Abushi just shooting from the hip. The big, I guess, the big thing that got everybody kind of perk, perked up and their ears kind of, you know, or everyone kind of standing at attention is that this was the first kind of public acknowledgement of something that's circled around online for a while. Me and you had even talked about it in the past, I think slightly. I don't know about on the podcast, but just between us that New Japan booking is not necessarily the way that a lot of people think that it is and that it's only Gato running the show, but that there's actually um, another group of people involved booking, including this Kikuchi person. Um, so that was kind of the biggest thing that people were taking away from it. Like the drama between New Japan and, and Ibushi saying basically that he's ready to be fired and leave um, kind of takes a, a backseat to a lot of, American fans who are just now getting this information that uh, maybe they did not really know the inner workings of New Japan this whole time. Um, but yeah, did you have any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that this definitely... So it's not just this, obviously. There's the fact that they're trying to get Abushi to come back before he's medically ready, which is an issue. It's something that is very serious and should get talked about. But also the way in which Coda was describing certain things or how it was coming across in translations. If he was, he was like, the, it almost like he, like he was saying, I'm about to blow the doors off this thing. I'm about to expose a bunch of stuff, this and that. It felt like subtweeting and a lot of stuff going on. And I think he's alluding to sharing a workplace with liars and cheaters. And Stuff and stuff and stuff like that that got brought that got brought up, and yeah, I, I think that there is something going on with this Kota Ibushi stuff, and there's probably more that hasn't been said yet by Kota if the translate if the tone in the translations is uh is accurate because it doesn't because it doesn't it doesn't just stop yeah. at they were trying to get me to do this stuff while I was still injured. It seems like a whole like. You know, cheating is cheating. People cheat or whatever. Like it's not good, but people people do that. But there's a there still seems to be a lot more dysfunction going on in New Japan than people may have been aware of. And you know, with New Japan, they've been doing a great job in the last few years of being able to keep a lot of that stuff in house. And now I don't know how serious some of the stuff that's going on is, but now some of that stuff might be coming to light. Right. And that is something I did. I did send a tweet out about that specifically because that is something that I don't agree with. And I, I mean, even you said something there that like, I, I won't say that I like, you know, have a big issue with, but I do, I do kind of, I don't agree. I just, I really don't that like, you know, I'm 100% monogamous. I'm in a, a monogamous relationship, but I do think that there's, like, 
there should be a lot more culturally acceptance of the fact that monogamy is not for everyone um, and that other people's relationships are not really your business. And a lot of times people, I mean, there are times where people put things out there in the open and you can be in like a, you know, what they say, like as a don't ask, don't tell kind of relationship like a polyamory what you're getting at but like i think to me it's like again like like people do it and it happens i think it's if there is an expectation to be monogamous between two people that's like that's the issue like that that, that's all i wanted to say there like that's all my issue if there's an expectation there that we're going to be monogamous and then you go outside of that then yes that that is a problem Sure, sure, sure. Right. But we don't know that. We don't know their relationship. We don't know that that there was an expectation. Again, there's there's don't ask, don't tell. There's people who are monogamous in public, but behind the scenes, they have a different you know understanding. And when these things come out, it's not necessarily your place to shame them. It's also a hundred, like another thing. It's like out of everything in the world, like that we so much is like put on this idea that like monogamy and monogamous relationship is like a pass fail thing. And then it's like any time that you ever have any, you know, stepping out of it, then you've ruined the entire relationship and you're terrible at monogamy. And that's like just not how anything in the world works. And that's not how any relationship should be seen. People have trials and tribulations and people have issues in their personal lives and their relationships. And there's a lot of other things that you, I mean, fuck when you're, you know, if you have a 500 batting average, that's considered good in, in the, you know, in the MLB, right? Like if you have, however long 20 year relationship and you cheat one time then you have a bad relationship like i don't know like i just i think that that's not a good way to look at it societally i think that people need to understand that people deal with these things privately and that's it and i just think that like it's not it's not anyone's business like the only person whose business it is to decide like if what what someone did in their own relationship is between the people in the relationship that's kind of my my takeaway with that part and Kota Ibushi, what the fuck do you expect? <laughs> He's a well-to-do man, young man, who grew up in a culture that's very, very conservative and, like, patriarchal and, like, honor-based. So, of course, he's going to look down on people and, and say these kind of things because that's how high society works across the board, no matter where you are. So you have to remember that. The Kota Ibushi, while you like his flips and you might think that he's crazy, remember where he comes from. Remember that he is a wealthy well-to-do young man from a very conservative culture so he might not be the most woke so i don't necessarily agree with his politics especially when it comes to relationships you know like someone t- like tai chi i'll just say it like that's who he's talking about like tai chi about, probably about, is closer to the politics taka, that i have taka as well because taka had his own thing and that's why and that's why taka that's, that hey hey talk is a piece of shit and the stuff that, that's out there about taka is is yeah, actually like, bad it's like taking advantage of students, also, and, like, you know what I mean. Implications about Kikuchi, apparently, like so. It, it, it's, it's not just it's not just Taichi. Yes. Like I, said, I get everything that you're saying. I don't I don't disagree with anything yeah. that you're saying. Like I don't I think that we have a very rigid societal views in which we view relationships. I just feel like if someone put that kind of trust in you in that way. Even if you did it once, you messed up. Yes, you're kind of an asshole for that one. That's like, you know, it's, it, like if if you agree, sure. if you agreed on that, sure. you're you're an, you're an asshole. But I think that there probably is more serious stuff beyond that. Like he said, like like I said, I don't I don't think that's the most serious thing right. in the world. I think there's like, yeah, I think there's more all. serious stuff that could be coming out in New Japan in in regards to New Japan if 
Coda remains disgruntled. And maybe there isn't, and maybe this is just Coda being fed up and the and uh the, the stuff with the injury and talking about working with cheaters is uh is what is whatever it is. But there is potential for this to wind up being a bigger story, and it already is a bigger big story because this is the guy that just capped off the Tokyo Dome last year with both the belts. Like this is a pretty big story in and of itself. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's more of a wait and see thing for me when it comes to this, because I, I don't know. I have a hard time imagining this is this is it unless New Japan can get this under control. If if Kota finagles this into getting released and he does some like this is some Brian Pillman shit, I will definitely say hats off to him because yeah, the 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 pastors are very much greener outside of New Japan right now. Like I think we can all admit that. Even doing something like going to DDT and spending some time there and then also working, you know, AEW and touring around and doing his own thing, it feels like he could end up in a better situation like that. Um, doing some stuff like in that way, so we'll see. But that would be very interesting if he's if he's shooting off and spouting off on this all this just because he wants to get released. Um, or we'll see if, like you said, that that they will hammer this out in house. They'll figure out a way to make him happy, and they'll get him to shut up and just go about his business. And and we could still end up seeing him showing up in AEW because there's a working relationship there, right? So who knows who knows where all this stuff ends up? But yeah, I, I figured. Like I said, Sam is doing all the news, but this is a news story he didn't hit, um, and it was related to the two shows we were gonna re- we were gonna re- review last week. So I'd hit on that. Um, if you have any last thoughts Did about Sam this, hit the free. Roman Reigns thing. I was just okay, gonna say that. Go. Yes, he did not. He did not, and uh, yeah, Roman Reigns is taking the Brock Lesnar life, which is very, very funny to me in a lot of ways. But feel free, because you brought it up. Feel free to to set this okay, one up. So um, it sounds it seems like Roman got a new deal, and he will no longer be doing house shows. Which okay, Roman shouldn't be doing house shows. House shows don't matter. Fuck. Doesn't he doesn't need them. Doesn't need them. Yeah, he doesn't need them. You know, like I. Uh, I think this is very interesting and puts WWE in a really interesting spot because, well, obviously no one matters other than Roman and Brock anyway. But now, if this doesn't light a fire in that company in any kind of way to start scrambling to make someone, then I don't know what will because this is su- they're in such a weird place. It's almost like indescribable. Like Roman is getting is clearly gearing up for life post-wrestling in some kind of way where wrestling isn't his primary means of income or he wants to spend more time with his family or he wants to go start doing movies with with the rock or whatever it is he's winding down on some level he already doesn't wrestle on tv that much he already he usually usually working on pay-per-views now you're cutting down now you're cutting down to house shows if this company who has invested so much in roman reigns for the last 10 for the last 10 years up, up to this point and they have completely fucked everyone else to, in order to make Roman Reigns work. And they have nothing underneath that, 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 that's, that's, that's ready or ready to go or will be a sure thing. I, I don't know what to think about this company anymore. Like, they almost, like, I think you, you've always felt, like, felt this way, but they don't feel like a real place anymore. It feels like this 
make believe version of wrestling, and it's like, what the like? You don't have anybody that's ready. Anybody like you? Like like you? Oh, like, Quentin, they've got a theory. <laughs> but like you, fu- like you, fucked ready. Everybody in order to make this work, and now he's saying that he's no longer doing house shows. And again, it might not be the biggest deal in the world, but this guy already doesn't work on TV that much. It, I, I don't know, man. This is, this is alarming to me. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, when do they bring when do they bring back uh, Bray Wyatt? You know what I <laughs> no, mean? Seriously. Like I, no, I mean this is no joke. But yeah, I mean he could he could come in and he would instantly be their biggest fucking star as a babyface. The Fiend was over enough when they were trying to force it to be a heel. But if they did babyface Fiend, that could that could be the biggest babyface in the fucking company. Like, yeah. And it's very funny because he hasn't shown up anywhere yeah. else, right? So he's waiting for something. I mean, fuck. They they probably should be. They, uh, they should really, be bringing his they number really right now. Should be calling Bray Wyatt to, to get to get his help. Yeah, that's the closest thing they have to someone who's ready. I mean, Lashley, I guess, has been but they, solidly they booked, but down. he's yeah, older than Roman. Pushing Lashley down the card. Yeah, you've, they've got very little. You've got someone like Cedric Alexander. Right? He is, is he still is. there? Even he's, he's trying. He's trying to get. He's, he's trying. He's trying. He to should hurt, be. To get the hurt business back together. Yeah, he should be a top guy ready to go. Right? Like that. You got Riddle, I guess, who's right next to Randy Orton. Who I meant. Is, you is, know what? Is I'm Randy happy. Orton, you, is, is, is Randy, brought this up. <laughs> I guess Randy Orton's ready. <laughs> well, yeah. As I was gonna say, I'm happy you brought this up because I meant to say this. It's like. Randy Orton, I hear everyone talking about it and everyone's having so much fun and all this stuff and they say, Randy Orton's the most over guy on the show. Randy Orton, Randy Orton. And I'm like, that's not a good thing. It is. It's not Randy Orton is the most over guy on the show because, only because he's been there so long. And that's where they're at as a company. He's basically, he's just outstayed his welcome. He's been there longer than anyone. And every other person that's from his generation or even slightly before his generation and all that have left. And so be, he's just the last man standing is the only reason why he's the most over. And that's not good that you end up with like process of elimination is how you become the biggest star in the company. Like this is not a good situation. It is. It's not. I, man, I don't fucking know what's like. They don't feel real, dude. Like this is so, so they're totally antithetical to how a wrestling yeah. company should, should run. How, how do you, I, I don't think they're gonna die anytime soon, but like this is like dying empire kind of shit. This is just like like you have oh, nothing yeah. here. And I get it, like at this point, like stuff like SummerSlam and the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania are like cultural events. Like people like they've 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 completely they've completely sure. punted on the idea of like their TV mattering as much or that these filler shows mattering as much. They've definitely gone straight forward with the model of like these big shows are gonna make them the biggest spectacles possible. And that's fine, but I, if you don't even have, if you're not, you can't, won't even have like Roman reliably in the next two years. I don't know what, what the fuck are they going to do? I don't know, man. I'm, yeah, I really couldn't say. I couldn't tell you. Um, maybe. No, I, I, I'm not, I don't yeah. even want to waste the time <laughs> trying to figure anything out for them. 
If this is fucking wild. They've got nothing. They've got Cody Rhodes, I guess. Ugh, I didn't. Right. I didn't even think about I'm that. Not, but I guess that, Cody. That shit is not going to go anywhere. Like, even if he wins up winning, even I mean, even you, if you he say that, the title, like, even if he wins it, like, come on, man. You can say that, but he's their biggest fucking babyface now. I mean, really, it's it's Randy Orton yeah. and it's Cody Rhodes. Yeah. Those are the biggest baby yeah. faces in the fucking not, company. I'm not saying they're not over or anything right now. It's also just like again, like I, like I was like I said was like I said when Dave was on. I just don't know how I how long I see this working or like how like I just sure. like I just don't sure. I just don't know if I see it. The tough part is that I don't think that Dave. Dave, I was going to say, I'm talking about fucking Dave Meltzer. Vince McMahon, I don't think Vince McMahon will ever respect Cody, even if he'll push him as a star. And the problem is that Cody isn't going to do the, like, I'll just let you push me and do whatever thing. And so when, yeah, you're right. The first time that Cody pushes back and, and Vince just has had enough of his shit, he's going to just fucking just nuke the whole thing yeah. and ruin him basically so that's kind of the problem and you know what's funny is that I, the reason why Vin, and you know this is me playing armchair psychiatrist right me me doing this but i love doing this kind of shit and i i feel like i listen to enough love line that i'm allowed to uh that I, I've, I've got my doctorate <laughs> there, in doing there, armchair there, there, psychology there's also nothing about the, miss mcmahon out but like if you wanted to play armchair psychiatrist and it was anybody yes it's miss mcmahon <laughs> yeah but uh Vince and his whole like he hates juniors thing and his whole fucking issues with being, you know, connected to or looking like you're built off of your dad is why he'll never respect Cody because Cody loves being the son of Dusty Rhodes and Cody can links himself to that openly and as much as he can. And Vince just can't respect that. Vince doesn't like it and he doesn't respect it because he's got a fucking, you know, a condition. He's got a, a a complex about his father and being compared to his father and feeling like he needs to get out of his shadow and him not being there and all of those issues. And Cody's got the same issues, but in the opposite way. Where, you know, Vince you know, villainized his dad and wants to prove that he's better than him. And Cody wants to prove that he's as good as his dad, you know? And that's the, but it's the same. It's really the same issues where you can't get out of the shadow of your father, but it's which way do you take it? Do you take it to you, you like fuck the old man or do you take it to I want to be the old man? Um, and yeah, so I just think that Vince will never be able to respect him because, you know, that's why so many of these fucking wrestlers that you hear that were top people. They're like they have daddy issues, but they have the right kind of daddy issues where they want Vince to replace their dad. And that's what Vince likes. He likes someone who's like him, who says, fuck my dad. I want a new dad who's better. Vince will be my new dad. He doesn't like guys who are like, I like my dad. I want to be just like him. You know, and that's uh, that's that's the issue there. Where yeah, I just think Vince will never take him seriously, never respect him, and at some point they're gonna butt heads. And because Vince doesn't respect him, he won't give in the right way and, to uh, and, and, to make this and, work. And, so and, you're probably right. Point, if he doesn't like something, he doesn't have to take it either. So it's like like that's something I just Mm-mm. I just don't see how this works. I don't see how this works. No, no, this is a oil and water situation with them. Um. Can we can we talk about some good wrestling though? Yeah, do sure. Let's do let's do that. Let's move on from this, or or do you want to keep talking about? No, I definitely WWE? don't keep. I, I'm sorry, I don't but keep I'm doing just... that. <laughs> All right. Did you watch the Defy show? No, Wild I did not. That the one with the Mox Vault with the Mox Lawler match. No, I didn't. Yeah. I, did, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see that. Okay. 
check this show out. And I'll tell you, I'll give you the real shit just real quick what to watch because, you know, it's pretty obvious, but maybe you might get confused here. Um, the opening match is fine. Six-man tag, whatever. Doesn't matter. Adam Brooks, Nick Wayne, Swerve, all this. Um, Damo Kevin Blackwood. Don't you, have to watch it, but this is the best... This is the best demo match since he's left WWE. This is the closest to the old big demo from the UK scene that was actually pretty good that I've seen. This is decent. Like I said, don't have to watch it. It's less than 10 minutes. If you want to check it out and see, I actually would recommend it slightly, but also easily skippable. It won't matter in the grand scheme of things, but I was shocked. Demo looked good. Kevin Blackwood got his ass kicked. It was like... Exactly what you want out of a big demo match. And, like, I haven't seen that in forever. So, yeah. Um, Danica versus Kikio. Uh, no, no, nothing really here. Shaft versus Thatcher. Ah, goddamn. Thatcher's great, but Shaft really sucks here. Um, he's, like, wearing, like, fucking jeans tucked into his boots. He's, like, I'm, like, is this a fucking, you know, street fight? What is this guy's deal? Jeans, no good. It sucks. Yeah, it sucks. He looks like fucking like he's trying to be Bobo fucking Schlack, which is sad because Shaf used to actually look like there was something there, like he was going to be decent, but uh, he is not. Um, and Thatcher, like I said, Thatcher's great. If you want, that's the problem right now. Is like I want to recommend this match just because you're, we're not getting a lot of Tim Thatcher. Yeah. So just to see any Tim Thatcher is worth it. But uh, this match is not not fantastic. Steve Miggs versus ELP. Let me tell you something. Steve Miggs fucking rules. I love Steve Miggs. He's such a great wrestler, man. Um, he's not the most athletic, obviously. But he knows what looks good. He knows to just do what's good. He knows how to get fucking heat. The crowd loves him. He's a babyface here. But the crowd goes insane for him. You know what I mean? I just, I love Steve Miggs. I'm a big, big fan. Highly recommend checking this out just to see someone be able to have a decent match with ELP at this point. Like Steve Miggs is fucking great. Like this guy, he's so good. Like I love Steve Miggs. And then, you know, C4 versus Bollywood boys. It's fine. C4 is very good. I would say skip this match. Bollywood boys. I get nothing from them. Uh, John Moxley versus Tom Lawler. Definitely watch. And this is, we'll I'll get into it a little bit later when we talk about Kevin Koo, but like John Moxley is, this match is like sentimenting. This dude is the wrestler of the year. With the shit that he's doing with the, the Blackpool Combat Club, and then outside of that, having matches like this, like, if he does the G1, this guy is running away with, with Wrestler of the Year this year, no, without a question. John Moxley is fucking phenomenal. Like, it, this is so good. Like, amazing match. So definitely highly recommend this one. Uh, so yeah, that's, a, that's the quick rundown of that. Um, I'm sure you didn't watch Impact Under Siege. No, but then I had Shelly versus... No, well, Shelly didn't show up, so... Yeah. No, no. You ended up with no Shelly. Um, and that would have probably been a really solid match, but unfortunately we ended up not getting that. Um, Ace Austin, Trey Miguel, decent. Briscoes versus uh, Violent by Design, Diener and, and Young, and Eric Young, decent. And then Josh Alexander versus Tomori Ishii, fine. People are going crazy for it. I don't see it either way. Um, yeah, we can, uh, <laughs> I guess, let's move on. It's interesting to have... Uh, to have Shelly pull out and then not do... Maybe they put it on the pre-show. Yeah, Mike Bailey ended up doing a three-way on the pre-show with Laredo Kid and Rich Swan, which mm. I did not see. But that actually might yeah. be decent. Um, so I would recommend people check that out. And then a quick a quick throw out there uh, related to that is... Uh, oh, God, who was it? Damn it. Now, oh, it was uh, 
we'll talk about him on, a, on the action show. But Adam Priest versus Rohit Raju on that AEW like, Dark very, or Dark good. Elevation. It was really good. Rohit Raju is fucking really honestly, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it a, a couple times, I think, in the past. But god damn, he's good. And and AEW presented him as the you know the the the, the feature of the two. But you know, it was a dark. It was on dark, and neither guy is a contract guy, so they both like got some stuff there. But yeah, that match kicked ass. So that's a that's a check out. I like I like a lot. He got he was pro- obviously was more yeah. popular for the impact stuff, but he was doing really good stuff in AEW for a while. I don't know if he's still a regular there, but he's doing a lot of really yeah. good AEW stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I hope AEW picks him up. And honestly, I would, I hate to say this because I would rather them have him do something else, but he'd be a perfect fit to go into that Jay Lethal stable with Sanjay Dutt and, mm. and Satnam Singh because then they can actually have another person in the stable that can wrestle. Because I'm sick of every fucking match from that group just being Jay Lethal, honestly. <laughs> like they need another person in the group that can wrestle. Um, so yeah, like Rohit, like I said, I'd rather have him do something else with him. But they could throw him into that group, and then he can also wrestle. And I think that that would actually be a solid fit for him, um, just to help <laughs> help out that stable. But uh, yeah, moving on to the shows that we actually meant to talk about here. Um, Want to go in chronological order? Was that work for you? Yeah, I forgot I was muted. Uh, I forgot. I, for, I forgot. Oh. I forgot. <laughs> that I, I forgot that I cherry pit moat. No, I didn't forget. I cherry remember I cherry picked right. uh, the uncharted territory. So we should probably do That's that fine. first. And I guess like do the action review. Okay. Okay. Um, that works. Well, then, how about uh, take me through what you watched on uh, on the uncharted territory? Um, Alec Price versus Aston Star. The bounces for the bounces forever title match. Damian Tango versus Adam Priest. Uh, oh, I just meant like start oh, like, just just, go oh, through it. <laughs> Not like just tell me. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Alec Price versus, versus Ashton Star. I didn't think this was bad. I, was, I, thought this, I thought this was pretty solid. This was one of the best shows I can remember seeing from Ashton Star. Alec Price, I'm still not sold on. I like his finish, I guess, but his act still isn't growing on me in a way in which I feel like he should be a featured act, like a main act in uh in in, in, in independent sure, promotions. Sure. I'm not totally sold and sold on him in that capacity, but I thought this I thought this was still pretty solid. Damian Tangra versus Adam Priest. We know we know these guys, we're familiar with these guys. This kicked ass. This was really this was really good. This was really good. Uh I think it was Jaden Jaden Newman versus who Jaden Face. Okay, okay, that was yeah, that was that was great. I was surprised that this was that was apparently the first yeah. the first time facing each other in a singles match. I know, was really I was surprising. shocked. I checked. I actually checked. Yeah, that yeah. was a, a really surprise. I was really surprised, but like, I I still like Jaden more as a babyface. I think, but like, I feel like I feel like it switches all the time, which I prefer seeing seeing Jaden yeah. seeing Jaden as, but. I, I like this. I like the red, the bit, the big little guy dynamic, and him ragdolling around for Al, for Alex Kane at certain points. And I love the I love the intensity of it. Violence of Forever versus Culture Inc. I I don't know. These Violence of Forever matches, like at least on this string of shows, weren't the best to me. 
I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, no. I didn't, I didn't think so. I didn't think super highly of, uh, of the, of the, of those, of these tag title matches on this string, on this string of shows. It was okay. It was fine. Uh, and then AC Mac versus Slade. I don't really have much to say on it was whatever to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought the AC Mac versus Slade match was fine. Um, yeah, it wasn't, no, it was not great. I thought that there was some good, there was actually some good Slade stuff in here. Um, the entrance, the Slade entrance I thought was actually really fun. Um, and there was some good like character building stuff for him, but it's tough because we've now seen like what Slade is really good at, which was like the Biff Busick match. And like now seeing him kind of do really anything else just doesn't, it's not speaking to me. Uh, I never was a huge fan of Slade, but now that I know what we could get from him in the right context, it, it does make it harder to see something like this. Um, Ashton Starr on the two shows, I thought really stood out as, like you said, how he's improved quite a bit and he's having great showings to where, and I, I meant to send this message, uh, but I'll just say it here because I know he'll hear it, is that um, I'm hoping that we get a Dan Makabe versus Ashton Starr coming up, a uh, match coming up here somewhere in the in all this time he's spending in the South because Ashton Starr is getting really good to the point where he seems like the kind of wrestler that, um, that I think Dan could get a really good match out of. Um, you know what I mean? Because you know how Dan can do that yeah. with certain kind of people who are good enough? Uh, yeah, I just I think that Ashton Star is good enough to where we could have like a fucking phenomenal match between those two. Um, but uh, like, like uh, that was uh, that was kind of how I was feeling about Ashton Star coming out of these matches. And um, Alec Price, I was a lot higher on Alec Price before, and I kind of would like you know felt like I was the high man. And people just didn't like him. People were hating on him, and then now he's getting out there more and more. Um, he won the Bone Storm Championship, which you know I was calling for him to get booked in SUP way way long ago. Um, and then now he's the champion there, and the heat is still there, and the crowds fucking hate him, and he's really hateable, and he's good at the character work. But to me, there was an intensity to him when he when he first when I first started seeing him, and there wasn't much to the character. He his in ring had a real snappiness and intensity and fire um, that I feel like is lacking now that he's focusing more on trying to be a heel. He's trying to be a heel and he's trying to play heel all the time, and you're not getting that quality of work that I used to get because early on he just felt like he was very hungry. He was full of potential. He was super fiery. And everything he did came off like he was going at 110 miles per hour and he's trying to prove something, especially because at that time it was when Daniel Garcia was really, really coming to his own and everyone was talking about how great Daniel Garcia was. And then Alec Price was on the undercard seeming like he was really trying to get everyone's attention. And now that he kind of has everyone's attention, it feels like he's slowing down and he's trying to focus more on, you know, getting heat and being a heel and I just think that his in-ring is really suffering because of that. So if he can figure out a way to mix the two things and give that same level of fire and intensity in his match that he used to give while also still being as good of a heel as he is, um, I think that you you see a very, very top indie level talent to where people more and more people are going to be like talking about him. He's going to get booked all over the place, all this stuff. As of right now, I think that's still going to happen, but I just I'm not going to appreciate it as much. 
if we don't end up uh, you know, seeing that mix. And yeah, agreed with you on, uh, on pretty much everything else you said there. So I guess, you know, fuck it. Let's, well, just, let's well, move on. Well, like, keep I on trucking. Alec, Alec Price is a oh. weird guy to me because I do see I do see everything that you're talking about. I think it's like interesting to view Alec Price and Titus Alexander and like part of, as part of the same as part of the same conversation here, where I think my issue with Titus, with Titus Alexander is like, okay, you do all this stuff mechanically and physically well, but then as far as like the personality, it feels like you don't have any actual personality as a heel. Sometimes you're supposed to be this big dumb jock, like, kind of like this dumb jock wrestler, but then you don't exude any of that and en- en- exude any of that energy or intensity in your work. And Alec Price, and you're right. In some of the earlier stuff, he did have he did carry that intensity, and now it feels like he's trying for more quote unquote typical heel work instead of what like I like him as or liked him more as, which is this sort of like aggressive, shitty like shitty little like like wormy haired kid like kid. Like I like I like that I like that about him. I like the kind of chip on his shoulder that he wrestled with at points. And like these are supposed to, I guess these are ostensibly the two like new big heels on uh <laughs> yes. on, on the on yes. the indie wrestling scene. And they just reminded me like man like I'm not gonna say Alec Price doesn't know how to be a heel, but it's like wow, like we are really, really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel, not in terms of talent, not to, but in terms of like knowing how to do character work. And I in AC, I would count him, but we know AC is more than a heel at this point. He's uh, he's a he's a like he's yeah. a heel in you know in the Northeast. He's a heel and stuff still, but he's a face in action and all that. Like it's. So in terms of people that are like primarily doing heel work, these are the, supposed to be the two guys. And yeah, man, I don't know, man. I feel there really there has to be a, a a moment where like these two guys have to let like, the heel stuff has to click at some point because we're we don't have it right now. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the two top heel heels, really the two top heels in the Indies, and like. They're both so fucking rough and so, yeah, just so needing to really put this together and figure stuff out to where they shouldn't be main eventing shows. Like, I hate to say that, you know, but I just someone like Jaden Newman. And as you talked about, like, I like seeing him as an underdog babyface bouncing around and all this. But like, I think he's more suited to be the top level heel. And and we'll talk about it right now when we move on to action. But. This like this group and this unit that he's in, and he's like involved in multiple matches across the show. Like, I, I just I couldn't get into it. I couldn't get invested into any of it. And if he feels like he should be, he should be a more high level, top level heel above these two guys. And he's not. He's like kind of bumming it around here, or he's working babyface in other places. Where I just I think I've always said that I think Jaden is a much more natural baby or much more natural heel to me. I just, I think he's better as a heel. I think he's more natural at it. As a babyface, I rarely get behind him. But uh, the heel work he's doing here in action, I'm just not into it. So maybe we'll talk, we should just talk about it. Um, And when we do talk about it, the top heels on the indies, we could talk about it in the first match here on the action drawbreaker show. The guy who should be the top heel of the indies, because I think he's, before he left for WWE, was the best heel in all of wrestling. I even said it. Anthony Henry versus what Alex Shelley. Fuck. Um, <laughs> this, this match is this, like this match is absurd. 
<laughs> go. Like, go off. Dude, let me hear it. I like you see this on paper and you're expecting a great match. And we know Alex Shelley can hit hard. We know Alex Shelley has heavy hands and all that kind of stuff. But we also like you kind of think of Alex Shelley as more of the finesse technical guy when you're thinking of Alex Shelley. I think of him as in like as an all-arounder, but when you generally think of Shelley, that's what you're thinking of. You expect Anthony Henry to be, you know, the strike the strike heavy aggressor. These two beat the absolute shit out of each other. And it was ridiculous. It was beating the shabby each other with all these different strikes and hard ass forearms and elbows, but they're also doing great, aggressive, mean looking limb work on each other's arms and legs. And it's going, and it's going, and it's going both ways too. They're selling, they're selling it consistently. It's not, it, done, it, it doesn't feel like it's done in a vain way. It feels like it's done realistically. It feels like these two guys are being uber competitive. It hits all these different notes. It's, Excellent execution. It, it like lands, uh, lands these kind of like pissing contest spots in the great in great ways that don't feel that don't feel forced or unearned. Everything about it, like the personality from both of them. Anthony Henry has been an aggressive dickhead for the last few years, but Alex Shelley can turn it up, and he's been turned up in action with that with uh with his match versus Mac and he versus Henry a lot. Being being that way, it's this is phenomenal. This is. Honestly, one of my favorite matches of the year. I thought that this was a really, really, really fucking good match. Yeah, this match was, as you said, phenomenal. This was great. The dueling, limb work, arm work, leg work. They went, they went around the world on each other on their bodies. Plus the fucking big strikes. Plus a couple of nice drivers and bombs throughout. All of that, um, just back and forth. My only negative and i actually went out of my way to do a little like looking into this just to just to make sure my own like at this point i was like i feel like i got it because this feels almost impeccable right but so i have to see something that i think of as a flaw and as you said like there was selling throughout and nothing felt like like they were just doing it just to do it but my only issue was that it felt a little rushed it felt like they had a lot of stuff and they were fitting it into too little of time. Um, and I just think there was a lot of things in here that could have breathed, that could have had more time to breathe. They could have slowed down or they could have gone longer because this is under 15 minutes. And that's actually, that's honestly an action staple. I mean, in action, we've talked about it a bunch. Action does not, their matches do not go long. I mean, action Rarely even has 20-minute matches, let alone something that goes over 15 minutes. They don't have 20-minute matches, like, ever. Um, but this match looked like felt like it could have either used more time or these guys could have, like, cut some stuff out. And I hate to say that because it was great, but they just they, it felt like they were just going through everything. And, and not to say, again, not to say, like, it felt like they were not selling or, or, you know, just, like, just doing stuff just to do it. No, but it just felt like... There was a lot of times where they could have taken a few more seconds on, you know, the spots in between stuff to really make it bigger, um, and that was just that was just kind of the my only kind of negative on it. It's funny because we a couple of weeks back we were talking about it, and you said that this is an anti uh, dusty, an anti dusty podcast, right? And then I'm sure that if this is an anti dusty podcast, then uh, it's also definitely uh, an anti his tag team partner in the uh, old uh, so Texas Outlaws and Dick Murdoch podcast, <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, but for different reasons. Like it's like it's like that. It's like that, cla- it's like that yes, classic thing sure. of like you know, like if you're gonna be racist, like be racist towards my face, kind of thing. Like as, as opposed to like yeah. Dusty, like 
literally cosplaying as a black man for like his entire career. Yeah. yeah. But I've been I've been really going off lately about how great Dick Murdoch was, and I feel like you know he was in my top ten for the GWE. I looked it up when I was thinking about this. He was number eight for me, and I just think it's so fucking good. And and looking and watching a lot of that old school stuff, and just being so I've been just so enthralled with like really old school wrestling where where you do take that time and they let the stuff breathe, and just thinking about that. So yeah, I've been I've been so hard on the Dick Murdoch that watching this might be part of why I'm watching this. I'm thinking like. Uh, these guys could have gotten a lot more. They could have let some of this stuff breathe. They could have really made this stuff a little bit more dramatic. But, but like without all that, with with that said, this match is fucking phenomenal. One of the best matches of the year, definitely a match that should end up on your match of the year list at the end of the year if you're really paying attention. This was fucking great. These guys absolutely rule. Everything that they did looked fucking phenomenal. But like I said, I just think. A little bit, a little uh, slow down a little bit here and there, you know, let some stuff breathe a little bit more, add a little bit more drama to stuff. And this could be even better. Um, but again, it's, it's a different era. I don't know. I don't know. I've never really, I feel like I'm just getting old. This has been my late, late my thing lately. I'm just really like getting into this old school stuff. I I'll recommend it off just really quickly. Uh, Dan Makabe versus Charlie Haas felt like a really old school wrestling match where it like it's the same thing it was the drama and it was that stuff and there was no there was like no fucking high spots and all that and i recommend it for it's not going to make any match of the year list for sure but for me right now it's hitting that sweet spot of like old school wrestling you know um moving on from this follow this up kevin Koo versus ashton star talked about ashton star a little bit before this this was another match that fell into that camp of like ashton star is really kicking ass in here against I think this is where I talked about uh, uh, John Mo- or John Moxley, wrestler of the year. If John Moxley gets into the G one, then you know, and he does that and he kills it the whole way through. I think impeccable, unquestionable wrestler of the year. But if Kevin Koo keeps this up, where he's having solid matches and two of them per show, by the end of the year, you're looking at a quantity case that's gonna be yeah. kind of undeniable. He was almost there last year, but. Yeah, it's, go uh, ahead. Yeah, he's. I th- I do fear him stretching himself a little bit. Like I feel like if anyone can do it, he can. But I think yes. the thing with Kevin that if he wants to make this work, he'll have to have to adjust. Is like if you go back to like Kevin Steen and PWG doing it. I feel like there was enough variance because of Kevin Steen's big personality that when you see him twice on a show, you're not really fatigued by it because. Kevin Steen is already the best thing on the show, not just as a wrestler, but because of how big his personality is. And uh, like Kevin is cool, but in terms of like how that's gonna like bring it to his wrestling, I like that like that he, that he carries over stories, carries like he still sells from earlier matches, carries over stories, stuff like that. And narratively, and wrestling and wrestling idea wise, I think he keeps it interesting. But at the, but I think that. Kevin might need to start switching up variants in character, how they work these matches. They can't be working face in peril. Sometimes they got to go back to that old Legion of Doom uh, Violence is Forever shit. I feel, I feel like if this is going to work, because otherwise I think that the matches are going to risk feeling kind of samey. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you feel, feel the way, but that was, but that was, but that was my takeaway yeah. from, uh, from this, from this stretch of shows. Yeah. And well, they talked about it here on the commentary where, where they said, um, that Kevin chose as the dual champion, he chose to defend his singles title first. 
um, and then the tag team titles later, right? And as you said, I think that with the tag team matches feeling a lot like it, it, they play off of that story, and that's really cool to watch him do that. Where, like I said, because he did this on um, on the Sup Show where he wrestled earlier in the night and then later uh, in the tag team match, and he did you know told that story throughout the night where he got banged up earlier in the show and sold it in the tag team match later, and he did it again here again here. Um, I think that yeah, like you tell that story. But if you swap it, you can tell the opposite. And as you said, you can have the Road Warriors tag team match earlier in the night and then have the underdog babyface selling match singles match later in the night if he does that. you know. And I think that that's, that was a good thing that they kind of set that up even on commentary talking about it here. Saying like, you know, he chose to defend the singles title first. Is that a risk? Is he putting the tag team titles at risk by doing that? Is it smart? Is he underestimating Ashton Starr here? You know, which plays into that part of the storyline too, where Ashton Starr actually taking him to the limit and seeming very to Kevin Koo's level in the match is also a big part of telling that story. You know, so I get where you're coming from, and we're early on in this, but as I said, like last year he came close to Matt Wrestler of the Year. Honestly, for me, there was a lot of times where I was feeling like this is the guy. If he keeps this up and he's telling the storylines where he's having multiple matches and the matches are connected throughout with his selling and, and the story from one match to the next on the same show and, and continues to, to la- layer this stuff through and then mixes things up and shows that variance as you're talking about. I mean, Kevin Koo, Wrestler of the Year, like John, it's John Moxley's to lose right now, honestly, but Kevin Koo is nipping at his heels. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, did you have any other thoughts on this match? Uh, no, just like mainly just impressive, impressive from Ashton Star, and hopefully, like he gets to he gets to see opportunities and looks and spots like that, spotlights like this because he's he's been, he was solid. He definitely has proved that he should be getting more prominent spots. Yeah. Um, follow this up, Jaden Newman with all of his people versus uh, Sir Merrick Donovan. Um, like I said, this just, I won't say like comedy goof level with Jaden, but definitely feels like mid card, way too much going on, not a cohesive I unit. Understand. I don't understand, man. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a skill to be able to work anywhere on a card. That is a skill that we value in wrestlers. And those are types of guys that are valuable when you're, but when you're when you're booking a show and laying out a show. But at this point, it's been years of this for Jaden Newman. What is he? He just is he just like a staple of yeah. these promotions, and that's just what it is. And you use him how you see fit because he's such a versatile guy. Like what? What is it with Jaden Newman now? I just like at some point, like I appreciate the versatility. I appreciate all the tools he has and that makes him that makes him a useful guy for a booker but at some point i would like a little consistency in like the ways i see Jaden newman and i get it like different like there's different booking teams all across these different promotions and from twe to sub to action uh all these all these other all these other places they where uh where Jaden might work so it's like i don't know i don't know man like to me it's getting to a point where i would just like a little consistent consistency in how Jaden's presented at some point because like if you're if he's the guy from Chattanooga Chattanooga's first born like Chattanooga's main Chattanooga's guy um and he's been 
really one of the like mainstays of the southeast of the southeastern scene this whole time, and I still can't say what Jaden Newman's best qual- best quality is. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, this was good, but it feels like something like this is kind of above Jaden Newman at this point. Like, this feels like something Jaden Newman should have been doing two years ago. Like, he's a good name for a Merrick Donovan to be wrestling. And it was a good and it was a good match. And I think that Merrick Donovan has potential. But this act and how they carry themselves, it feels above it feels like Jane, I feel like Jane Newman's above this. Yeah. I'll give I'll give a shout out to Merrick Donovan here, um, following the uh the steamboat rule to a T that he never never felt like he was out of the fight, never felt like he wasn't firing back shots. He was always like ha- fighting from underneath he was always in it he was always committed you know he never played dead while but also continuing to sell the entire time so looked good i you know dylan giving him heaping praise on him as he comes out as someone to watch you know means something to me and it also i mean it means something to to what i'll say when i say this like if i didn't know the people involved behind the scenes that as well as i do and that is saying you know take that with a grain of salt because all wrestlers everyone involved in wrestling is carny all this and that i would say that there's something cynical about the way that Jaden newman is used when you know the background of his personal life and his situation with the twe and all that stuff that these bookers and promoters keep him around because it's good for business let's say uncharted territory was run was ran in his building you know the the, the show that we just reviewed but again, that's that's saying if I didn't know what I know. And I don't believe, I really don't believe Dylan is the person I'll say that, I, you know, by name, he puts it out there pretty obviously. I don't believe that Dylan is using Jaden Newman cynically at all because I've gotten into arguments and had conversations with him where the way that he's defending Jaden Newman, I can't imagine him putting that much effort into it for someone that he's just, you know what I mean? That he's just using for, you know, whatever. Um, I think he really sees something in this kid and I can't blame him because I kind of see it too. And I have for a while, even before that, like when he, when he first showed up with a, what the fuck, the, 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 the jocks, the, the, the varsity club, whatever it was with the, the, that Teddy, whatever guy in sup. Um, I, I thought that he looked really good and it was really great as a, as a heel there. And that whole thing fell apart and was very weird and it kind of fucked up and stunted Jaden's growth in a weird way that that uh, that guy you know disappeared and retired and all that stuff and I actually think he might have like shown back up or I don't even know what the deal was with that but uh, either way Jaden there's something there with Jaden we've talked about it and he's a guy who probably needs to figure something out like I said here this is not like he didn't come across like a comedy goof but it definitely did as you said felt like it was beneath him. And then he's got all this fucking circus around him. And then it translates into the next match with Matt Sells taking on one of his kids, that uh, Ur, Uron Wade. Aaron, Aaron Wade. Um, and I just, Aaron, is it just Aaron? A-A-Ron? I'm sorry. I'm doing the, uh, the, the key and peel fucking joke. Um, either way, Aaron Wade uh, taking on Matt Sells here. Matt Sells, at times I've enjoyed. This was not one of them. Um, and this again, it just—it felt like you're going like progressively down the line of being like unimportant. It was hard for me to care. 
Um, but am I wrong here? Was this was this Aaron Wade versus Matt Sells match actually like a hidden gem? Quentin, what did you think? Uh, it's, it, like, this confused me as a story because I get what they're going for. But with the tension that they were building up between Aaron Wade and Jaden, it almost felt weird that Aaron had to lose this match. I understand that Matt Sells is important to action and his return was a big deal. But I also feel like with the story that they're building up with the tension, that if Jaden couldn't beat Aaron, Se- oh, well, couldn't beat Matt Sells, then this guy that he's disrespecting so much, so much, it'd be a more interesting story if he had just got the win over Matt Sells. Uh, instead, he loses and they still kick, kick him out the group. I thought I feel like that was just like at that point he should probably just get the win. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking into it too much. I think like the matches, whatever. Aaron Wade is still very new and whatever and Matt Sells has never been great he's he's good he's good for what he is but as a story I just thought that it would have made more sense if Aaron Wade just beat Matt Sells there because then that would be an actual reason to want to kick him out the group because Jaden Newman is jealous and instead he just kick him out and kick, kicks him out anyway because I forgot what the, um, the guy's name is that we just were talking about on the on the sub show yeah, Hossman. because now because now Hosman has joined has joined the group. He just kicks him out, and I don't know. He just should, he should have just beat Matt Sells here, get the pop, get Aaron Wade over, and do that. But now they're gonna just put Aaron Wade, Aaron Wade, and Matt Sells together, I guess. But I don't know. I would have just gave I would just gave would have gave Wade the win. Yeah, yeah, that probably would have made more sense, but. I guess they wanted to do the the Hosman thing, like you said. Matt sells is Matt sells is a weird one for them because he's protected, but he's over like Grover, as people say. Um, I don't even know the meaning of it. I should. That's why I always just, hate saying, saying phrases think, like think, that where I don't know. I feel like that, like wherever that came from, is just saying it because it rhymes. Like I, I, got, I, I, I could not. Yeah, it's like Grover Cleveland. Was it Grover I guess? or Ro- was over or Grover? <laughs> like, like over, like Rover. I, I always. I always thought Rover made sense, right? Because Rover is like the name of your dog, right. right? So you'd be like, he's over like your dog, right? Your dog is over. But but then I was like checking some stuff out and I've seen that it's attributed as being over like Grover, which would make sense, like I said, for Grover Cleveland because he was very popular at a time. Um, but that doesn't make any sense, really. Um, you know, this is just uh, this is these are the things that are uh, that, that haunt me at night when I think about them. The etymology of weird phrases. Um, either way, he's over in a way, and it doesn't matter. He can lose. Like his calling card, right? Was that he? I think he beat someone like AC Mack or something like that. And like that was his calling card. Was that he? He had like a big win over someone who uh, who shouldn't have lost to him. Um, but then like now, like you said, like treating him like he's actually a protected commodity is like weird. It's it's just it doesn't make any sense. Oh, he beat Eric Royal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was the big thing. Was like oh, he beat Eric Royal after he was like on a losing you know, streak. You know, he didn't know, beat anybody, and then he was yeah. able to beat Eric Royal. Yeah. So it's like why now does he need to beat anybody? The, he was the, like the, a loser. The, story, yeah, the story's matter. done. Either and I way, feel like if we're telling this like Aaron Wade and Jada Newman story, then oh, whatever. Okay. Like <laughs> Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> um, speaking of Eric Royal, Eric Royal versus uh, Graham Bell. Merc, um, you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Merc, <laughs> same person. Um, same. The mercenary. Merc, the Merc with a mouth mercenary. Of Graham Bell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. 
I don't. You took a, um, I don't like Merc as a yeah. heel. He's a guy with too many ideas. Like he yes. he has too many ideas. Like you value guys like that on this on the scene who can come up with their own stuff and uh, can get over and seem interesting, but he has too many ideas. Yes, too much going on. He's got he got rid of the big stupid uh, cannon thing, which that's good. I I never liked that. I thought that was always really dumb. Um, and it, it's funny because you say that a guy with too many ideas. He's and he's going in here against Eric Royal, who is a guy who like really smart, amazing wrestler. Doesn't never has never will need any ideas. <laughs> Eric Royal just needs to wrestle. Like that's all you need. Eric Royal goes out here. He's always entertaining. He's always fresh. He's always unique. And you don't need a ton of ideas to get Eric Royal over. Even, you know what I mean? Even in like in CWF where there was like big gimmicks and all that stuff, you didn't really need much from the Ace God. You just need him to come out there and kick ass. Um and that's what he does here. I love I loved him getting caught up in the ropes doing the Andre spot. That was yeah, a good no, little I, I, uh yeah, that was a good that. little transition spot. Yeah. Yeah. That was so good because it's like a, he got caught up and it's just like a little fluke thing, but it made sense for Merck to get control off of that. And yeah, like you said, Merck Merck has too many ideas, but when Eric got him like in there just wrestling and they were just like fucking going at it, just fighting, that shit was fucking great. This was actually a really solid just two guys going at it. Um I did do a little bit of a, a deep, t- <laughs> and this was a fucking waste of time, but whatever. Um, I was in a in a, a Discord for a podcast that all of the fans are like, you know, I've just heard about indie wrestling in 2018. Tell me what's good, um, which was a tweet that I did earlier today. Um, that was yeah, that was the reference there. But uh, trying to explain to them like the big man, little man thing, and just being like, because I see people and they talk shit. They're like, oh, oh, does it hurt your, you know, you're you're believing it? Oh, did you know that wrestling is fake actually? And and it doesn't matter if a big guy is you know able to bump around for a little guy. And I'm like, that's not what hurts it. Like what hurts it for me is I'm watching the match. And Eric Royal looks like he's, you know, eh, maybe like 15 to 20 pounds bigger than Merck. And he's like maybe, you know, six, you know, three or four inches taller. Um, That like the basic story should always be that Eric Royal is just stronger. He's just he's bigger. He's stronger. That's it. And it's not it's not wrong with that. Yeah, it's not that it, like oh it makes me it ruins it for me because it's the oh because you know it looks fake or no it, what it is is it's like this is the natural story when I see it this is what I expect so just don't fight against that because all you're doing is making things harder for yourself and I always say that I go I always default back to the Bret Hart school of things right when it comes to the wrestling which is get the most from the least Steve this is why I love Steve Miggs get the most from the least right and if the crowd is going to watch this match and expect that eric royal is bigger and stronger than than merc then just tell me that story you know what i mean don't try to fight against it and they did for the most part here do a really good job of sticking to that but there was some times where i felt like merc did a couple things or and eric royal sold a little bit too big in ways that were just well you know again unbelievable just made it a little bit like took it a little bit too far but other than that like this was a great fight back and forth 
Eric Royal, again, the only times where Eric Royal wasn't in control really came off of stuff that was like little slip-ups and mistakes here and there. He looked really strong the whole way through and gets the win in the end, but actually makes Merck look like, you know, pretty solid coming out of it. So good match, you know, enjoyed it. Great little middle of the card thing. And as you talked about someone who can work anywhere on the card, Eric Royal went from being the champion to being in the middle of the card doing something like this. And the quality of his matches does not diminish and his overness does not diminish. And then the post match where he goes out into the crowd and he's high fiving kids. I mean, Eric Royal just aces all around. One of the, one of the best wrestlers going and just the delight always to watch. Uh, yeah. Quentin, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I think that uh, Mark can be a little, can be a little consistent, but entertain, but entertaining, but obviously at this point, Eric Royal is, must see because he just does everything about fun about pro wrestling so well and West, whether he's a baby face or a heel and he just understands it and gets it and knows how to make the most out of himself and knows how to make, make the most out of his out of his opponents someone like someone like a merc is limited big personality but not someone that you would want to that you'd want going out there and be like oh if you can't have a, a great match with Graham bell then you're not like no one's gonna say that you know what i mean and Royal is mm-hmm. a guy that just knows how to make the most out of his opponent. So this wasn't great or mind blowing or reinvent or reinventing the wheel. But I just loved seeing Eric Royal get a chance to work, get a chance to work with him and do the most. I thought he could with this guy that Graham Bell, who for the most part I've seen him, has been a babyface and this weird heel act that he's that he's going for now, trying to make the most out of that too. Then this, oh, Eric Royal is one of the only guys that can make that work. Yeah. It's always a pleasure to watch Eric Royal work, no matter what the setting is, as you said. And it was basically what I was saying before. Like, yeah, the guy is just, it's always a joy to watch Eric Royal because just he's just so goddamn good. Either way, follow this up, Airbnb versus Suplex Science. Um, Quentin, what did you think about this? Um, I, I guess I don't have a problem with the Bobby, with the Bobby Flacco and Brogan, Brogan, Brogan Finley tag team. I think that there's something there, but I, I I don't know. This match what, what felt a little disjointed to me uh, at point at points too for Alex Kane and how great he is and how dominating and uh, domineering he can be. Suplex signs still like effectively operate as baby faces, and when you're facing uh, a team like Bobby like Bobby Flacco and Broken Finley, where they're so clearly meant to be baby faces that you should adjust your style and lean and lean into the heel stuff a little bit more, especially if you're the, if you're, especially if you're the team that has uh, the ability to work a little bit more of a mat based style. So I, but I expected a little bit more adaptation from Damian Tangra and Alex Kane here that I didn't exactly get. It was still a solid match, but being able to adapt in a situation like that is what, you know, like, what takes wrestlers from being like good, like being okay to good and good to great. And I have faith that they'll figure that out at some point where this would have been like a prime opportunity to like change the style up a little bit and go more bully mode. Yeah. Um, Flacco's an interesting guy. A lot of personality. He's very, you know, a little bit out there. Definitely, um, you know, got his own kind of charisma. Um, God, I'm trying to think of who it was. Pete used to compare him to an older wrestler who I can't even think of the fucking name, and I feel 
I feel bad for not being able to remember it. Um, but now I'm kind of seeing him more kind of being like um, kind of like a modern um, Lance Lude from the Ugly Ducklings, you know, where he's got this like kind of weird charisma, weird style, the whole thing. And 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 uh, Brogan kind of fits in with him in, a, in the tag team in a, in a weird way. Um, starting to see more of Brogan showing up in like a new Japan strong or getting some shots there, wondering where all that goes with his, you know, his brother formerly being there possibly leaving new Japan. Um, always felt like he would make sense in, in a uh, new Japan. It's, it's, it's odd. It's the Finley boys, the Finley, the children of fit Finley, um, are just seem really odd in like the sense that like neither of them really wrestle at all like their dad, but at the same time, you're kind of like, could can they are they because they seem small but i actually think they might not be much smaller than their dad but their dad was like never huge but he wrestled at a time when wrestlers were bigger so i'm trying to think like he must have been i don't know either way none of that stuff matters and the point is this match that we're talking about here and yeah suplex suplex science is a weird a very odd tag team for me because I feel like I like Suplex Science as a tag team on paper more than I've liked yeah, any so of the matches. It's been, be- it's been better in theory than it's been in execution so far, for the most part. Yeah. I love them as a team because I love both guys a bunch. I think that they're both really good. But they don't tag enough. And they don't... They're not... Neither of them are super experienced. And I just think... <laughs> I hate to say this, but like one of their first tag team matches was against, you know, Daniel Wakabe and Brandon Williams. And that was really fucking good because Dan intentionally tried to make it like a um, a battle arts yeah. tag match. Which, from, like, yeah, which, know, it, which involves very little and like that, tag wrestling in some, on some level. Right. Like not what people yeah. think of as tag wrestling now. And, th- and then it sets the bar really high. To where now, like everything following that has really felt like a—I hate to say it—but like a bit of a disappointment. Um, so yeah, I just still very, I, still, think I, this, I, I think I like still Suplex very Science. new, and I think that like maybe this will come with like maybe like, adjusting expectations for these guys. Because like I said, like them having that ability to adapt, knowing hey, we're going to face these like pretty much like wholesome, like as wholesome a babyface team as you can probably find. We should probably switch it. We should probably change up our approach a bit. Like that, something that that comes that comes with experience. If you don't, if you, if you don't have the like the Booker in your ear telling you telling you exactly how they how they want you to work that match. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, either way, I think weird going to the no contest, but whatever. Um, hopefully, it builds up to doing some more stuff, and maybe this match will be better in a rematch. Um, follow this up, Adam Priest versus Pete Youngblood. Um, yeah. Like I said, Pete Youngblood is part of the, uh, you know, the the Jaden crew. But what were you uh, saying, Quentin? Did you want to talk about Shuggy's promo or no? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I, I I skipped over that. Feel like, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, feel it's not free that much to, there, but like, like Shuggy's good. Shuggy. And like, I thought that it was a it's, a, it's an interesting story there. Not that you know, <laughs> I think that it's interesting to like have like to have these conversations about Tadas Alexander and Alex Price that we've had. And like I feel like we could both agree that Shug D is probably better than both of them, right? But yeah, oh, so it's like it's, and has been for a very yeah, so long it's time. It's just like it's still weird to see Shug D in this place, and that's kind of been his whole his his thing for like the last like 
six years, honestly, about how is about how underrated he is. And on some level, you you feel like he's kind of like gets kind of like Dolph Ziggler, but it's still very real and warranted. I thought that the promo that he that he cut, uh, you know, after you know interfering in the uh, in the Suplex Science and Airbnb match was was real was really was really good. And you know, obviously he might he might be like leaving out details of why he like you know was no longer a freelance and the stuff of beyond. But it was it was still like really good really good material uh, for the promo. I thought it, I thought I liked it, and I'm not sure where it goes or how good it'll be for the payoff. But I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I completely forgot about it because I was just looking through, looking through the notes and not really paying attention or thinking about what happened. Um, yeah, it, I mean the promos. His promos are always great because they're supernatural and like it just it just feels real. Like you said, even if it does feel repetitive, because it's just the truth, um, and the character, and and his wrestling, like his wrestling is great. And as you said, like I mean, if this is this is what we really should be talking about, and you're right, like when we're talking about the best heels on the indies, someone like Shug D should should come to mind. But unfortunately, earlier when you were talking about that, he didn't, um, and uh, and that's because he's not getting he's not getting booked the way that he should. He's not showing up all over the place. You just had the, um, and I didn't even watch it. I just kind of heard about it. Um, but the the Avery Good uh, retirement match versus uh, Mr. Touchdown. And I don't know if you saw it, but, uh, you know, and I heard someone talking about, like, the catharsis of it and, and it feeling like the, not just the end of, you know, Avery Good, Dasher Hatfield's career, but also the, um, the end of uh of Chikara, right? Like the it was at uh, Lehigh Valley Athletic Council uh wrestling and uh and Shug D is just as so much as part of that really in a way, you know? He was he was in the, the throwbacks tag team with those three. Um and really probably I don't know. I I like I said I didn't see the match so maybe he was involved but as far as I no, he wasn't. Um, but yeah, like that history and that connection and all that. And you just think about like, like what did this, what really like his career could have been all the stuff that he's done. There's so much there. And you just end up with like kind of where he is now, the time he spent in England and the, and the matches that he's had in the UK scene and having that like all kind of fall apart eventually to where like it didn't matter how much effort he put into getting over and that like, and he was a guy that didn't like, he didn't just show up for the big shows. He was like grinding it out in the UK on like the shitty indies and the like small shows and, and like the PCW and stuff like that. Like he wasn't just wrestling the like normal, like, you know, the ones, the, the prestigious UK indies. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, either way, a bit of a diatribe just to talk about how like, uh, Shugdi's career is very, very storied and a guy who deserves a lot more credit for how good he is at this point. And unfortunately, we'll probably never get it, even though he's been a man of a thousand different chances, a thousand different like little bumps. And for no fault of his own, really, I mean, we could talk about like, you know, if there's a race issue, if there's, again, the quack issue 
coming from Jakara. There's a lot no, of stuff he's, there. He's, he's also, he's that makes also you question big, like why. Not a big guy either. Like even for us, you know, it's like yeah. It's, there's there's, a, there's probably a, there's probably a few different things, but yeah, just like yeah, man, Shug has been usually a highlight of every company he's been in for the last however many years, and they're just like a thing that I would like just crossed my mind watching that promo. Yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely tough. So now we can follow this up: Adam Priest versus Pete Youngblood. Um, really, really quick match, and again, I it took me a bit to really even get into it because of the Pete Youngblood and the, and the Jaden connection and all that stuff. But uh, really solid. I thought that Youngblood looked super good, like on some like little just detail selling work that he was doing throughout the match. Um, you know, he sold like someone who knows what it's like to be in a fight. Um, Adam Priest obviously is Adam Priest. I, you know, I know I dubbed him as like the, the junior Jamie Noble, which everyone like kind of kind of caught on to and realized I was I was right on that. But I was saying that as like an endearing thing. Yeah. I love the guy. And I always kind of like I always kind of stick up for him. Like he's so fucking good. And he's got a couple shots recently, but I just think he needs to I talked about the dark match that he had literally on dark AEW dark. I just think a guy who needs to who needs to really get a shot because super fun to watch and really fucking great wrestler. And and Honestly, the promos and the character, the post-match stuff that he does here with Matt, um, really fucking good. And just, like, gets his character, gets himself in ring, on the mic, everything about him. Like, just the worst part is just to see someone like this and think that he's just going to get the same, again, this, like we just talked about with Shug D, the same career where, unfortunately, you know, he never gets the due that he deserves for how good he is. But... Maybe not, and that's why we're. I think me and you were both happy about AEW existing because a guy like this can end up actually making something out of this uh, for the talent level that he is and and deserves that. But uh, feel free to talk about the match, the promo, and everything else I just talked about. Uh, no, I don't got much. I don't got many, many thoughts on this. I'm not sure uh, if I see anything in uh, in Pete Youngblood, and this is and this was quick. I I, I enjoy Adam Priest. I think that. Now he's 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 really weird character wise. I think as a, I guess more so a tweener at this stage. He just kind of is what he just kind of whatever on 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 any given on any given night. But no, I don't I don't I don't have any thoughts on this. This was quick and it was fine. Yeah, fine, quick, inoffensive, and like I said, uh, Adam Priest. I think really enjoyable. Follow this up: Violence is Forever versus the Skulk. And you, you kind of started this out, but. Uh, you know, saying it was a bit disappointing. Um, but I guess I'll say, Quentin, elaborate on why you found this disappointing. Um, I think that it's good that Violence Forever has shown that they can work in a variety of different roles. But if we're going to do with the Kevin Koo two matches a night thing, this would be a perfect time to like, try something different or just try something out differently structurally in the shows um, where maybe facing the skulk where like the skulk or, you know, these are guys that I feel like you should be, you should be perfectly fine. Like ragdolling it, ragdolling and throwing around after they're like small guys or whatever, but but getting that kind of like more aggressive in your face, chaotic feel from violence is forever 
would make sense would make sense going uh facing the skulk but instead they're opting in for this uh for this story about like you know kevin who has two matches and everything like that and it doesn't make it a bad match i still liked it and still like it's still like the way that it was worked but i i, I don't i don't know i think that like, I don't, like i'm not interested in seeing the skulk in control at least in, at least versus violence is forever that's not that's not what i'm looking for here it's like cool that cool that they can do that but that's not what i'm really looking for in a skulk versus violence is forever match and i i don't know maybe this is like an expectations thing and like having certain expectations and not appreciating what was like in my face of what they actually did because i said i think that Vance forever has shown a lot of range in their years as a tag team as time has gone on but this isn't exactly what i want to see them doing versus a t- versus versus a team like this yeah i think part of it though is that action has been building the skulk team up for a long time so I don't think that like they can just ragdoll a team like the Skulk around, really. But but I do agree with you that we've seen them have like badass fucking brawls, wild like really no selling epics with teams at this level and lower before. So so while I don't necessarily know that we need to see like the the violence is forever just completely fucking decimating, you know, doing the Rick Steiner match yeah, or the Steiner that, brothers match, we, like you've seen, um, um, like some like some like some like something like like the lot like the Lost Boys match, like something like that is more is more so yeah. more so I'm referring I was, to not like the violence is forever slaughter fest that we've that we've that we've seen before, but something that has a feel and the intensity of like the Lost Boys match is something that's I think that's the sweet spot for violence is forever. And when you're doing this thing where you're already coming in with Kevin Koo as a sympathetic figure, when you're working the, when you're working the tag team match later on in the show, it can usually take away from that. Yeah, no, definitely, and and I get where you're coming from there. Like I said, um, like the the Skulk has been presented in a way where they're stronger than than getting just fucking absolutely decimated. But you're right that you could have something in between that. Um, and just more of a 50-50, like, like wild brawl um, instead of, like, them really feeling like they're selling pretty big here for the most part. Um, except for, I mean, I guess it's mostly Koo. Dom is not selling insane, but Koo is, is kind of a little bit of the weak link. I, I could even see using this as, like, some storytelling stuff to lead to a Dom versus Koo title match. Um, just because of, yeah, that, that Koo is kind of letting Dom down. Um, and if they continue on with that story, I, I, I would, yeah. I wouldn't hate it, you know, but I, I definitely see what you're saying that like the matches kind of suffer. Um, I think Alanis, Alanis or whatever he lost, he, he really trimmed he up looked, and, and he, got in good shape, great. but I felt like he does, but I honestly feel like I used to take him a little bit more seriously when he, when his frame was a little bit thicker. Like, I don't know, maybe he just needs to put a little bit more muscle on. Um, but to me, yeah, I just, I don't know why, but for some reason he just looks a little small. He looks in great shape. His cardio is fantastic. You can see him move around. And honestly, he used to look like really out of shape. So that's probably a negative. Um, but yeah, I just think he needs to get a little, just a little bit more muscle on his frame and he'll look even better. Um, that said, going through the skulk, um, like cage match and, and looking at that stuff that they've done recently, I literally nearly had an uh, existential crisis when I realized that uh, 
Did you know that in the year of our Lord 2022, they're still running FIP shows? I I think I did, but I also haven't seen the FIP show in like God knows how many years. I thought that it was dead. I thought that the FIP was completely gone. And I'm just now finding out that FIP is running a tag team that's called the Island Kings that are their tag team champions that have Sean Maluda huh? and Jaka. No way. No. Yes. Jaka has been wrestling this whole time and are I didn't realize it. Because I thought I thought I thought he retired. I, think, I thought I think, he was I think he, gone. I think he did like, retire. Yeah. So apparently this has to be like somewhat recent. Yeah. Yeah, so he's back. No, like since 2021, they've been wrestling, Fuck. man. There's an Island Kings versus the Jolly Boy, the Jollyville Fuckets. They were on uh Dark Elevation, the inner circle versus Jaka and Sean Maluda. What the fuck? Um, yeah, this is this is troubling. This is very troubling to find out about. But yes, uh FIP still exists. Uh, WWN Live still exists somehow. Um, and uh, the Skulk have wrestled on a couple shows there. But either way, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, finish out this action show with the main event. AC Mack versus Anthony Green. Um, he's not the retrosexual anymore, right? He doesn't use he does that not. nickname. He does not. It's a that was a weird nickname. Either way, um, where do you come down on Anthony Green? Because <laughs> I don't know. See, 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 I feel like if I ever I like actually been, liked I him, I feel like I've been able to avoid talking about him for the last for for, for the last however many years, and now I, yes. yeah, I feel like I've been able yeah. to avoid it. Um, honestly, he's probably one of the more puzzling guys that got signed in the last few years. <laughs> Just because, just because right. I don't. What's there? Like as a babyface, I've ne- I've never seen anything there. It's not like the promo is there. The end rate, like nothing is there. He's fine. He's perfectly fine. But I always just was like, okay, this is a meme. This is not to be taken seriously. In my head, I was like, okay, I see the look. I see this guy. This is a meme. So I just don't have to take this seriously. Like that was always my approach, uh, my my approach with him. I will say, this might be the best match I've seen of his. This I thought was I thought this That's was fair. pretty good. Um, like yeah, him working more like more more heelish and really and really uh soaking up the crowd, not necessarily like outwardly heelish ways either, but just like you know being like super high energy. Uh, in contrast and contrast and contrasting that with uh with Mac fighting from underneath, I thought I thought this was I thought that was really good. The near falls actually got me got, got me at this point. Uh, with the with the uh, with the match, I love the finish. Uh, yeah, for two guys that I'm not particularly high on in the ring, I I was pleasant, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed this enjoyed this match. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, this is another one to chalk this up. And maybe I don't have to see everything as, like, overt racism. But, like, the people who detract on AC Mack, I feel like, give Anthony Green more of a pass when AC Mack, to me, 
is better in the ring. I think AC Mack to everyone, I don't think this is disputed, has always been better on the mic. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't see how anyone gets into Anthony Green and actually like authentically likes him and then could say have anything negative to say about AC Mack. Um, so yeah, I just I found that I found that odd, but I've never really known how much people really take Anthony Green seriously and how much of it is a meme, as you said. Um, because He's he's one of these guys. Even in this match, there's times where he feels insanely yeah. awkward. He, like, he's he's you would think a guy who's been wrestling this long, good wrestler. Like he's like he like he's never no. has been. Like I watch like Limitless and Beyond as much as any as much as anyone else, and I've never really gone away like, oh man, like I forgot what it, what, what the fuck was this that he that he used to go by. I forgot. I forgot. Uh, when he no, was in like, WWE like, before the WWE name, I think he was something else, right? Was he always he always Anthony Green on the Indies? Uh, he was what is it? Um, Joshua Matthews. No. I don't think you would know that. He? Angelico Guard. No, he was, Guardian. Like no. Maybe I'm making it. No, I feel Saint? like I'm making it up. Then I feel like he had another a different another name. Uh, that he that he that he no. went by. No, but, no, but but. I, Either way, the point is like I've seen enough of him over the years that I was like, okay, all right, I don't really get this. I don't know why he gets pushed. I don't know why he gets like the reaction he gets or whatever it is. And I don't know. Are, are there are there people out there that are that were high on Anthony that were high on Anthony Green but were not into AC Mac? Like I feel like if I'm like if I'm not like I'm not into either of them. So I feel like that's like a pretty like understandable thing, but like you know, obviously I have to pick someone and AC. I pick AC Mac because I've actually seen AC Mac have good matches before. Yeah, I, that's why I say I don't know. I'm I'm like my point is more like maybe I I took people like doing memes on it, Anthony Green as like actual literal endorsements of him. You know what I mean? That's. That's, that's so that's why I'm just kind of like that's probably what it was is why I would say like I can't imagine people being more firmly behind Anthony Green than Mac unless like I said the, just like kind of going off because I've always felt like there was more of a positive sentiment towards Anthony Green than the and more of a negative sentiment towards AC Mac as a wrestler in general and again it's probably just because Anthony Green is just a meme and no one ever actually enjoyed him and I was just reading it wrong. And that's just that's just bad. That's just bad posters in sync on my part. <laughs> and I apologize for that. Um for falling for that and taking anything as ever being sincere. Um, because you know, we're online and that's not the point of online. But uh, but yeah, I mean Anthony Green has always kind of sucked and he's just fucking awkward in here. And as I was saying, like a guy like this, who the idea is that he's supposed to be a gimmick, you get like the confidence. It was funny because okay, uh, again, a couple weeks ago we talked about like the confidence stuff, and I talked about Dusty and the um and the fact that like him like really helping train the students to do promos and be characters would help with the confidence. And literally, like the next day, I think I was hearing like a. Uh, uh, Voices of Wrestling, Joe Lanza talking about like, oh, you know, the, the, the difference between WWE, NXT, and AEW is like the confidence. And it's just so funny because I was like, this is the same shit I was literally just saying, basically. And uh, Anthony Green, you would think the guy who's like the character guy 
would be a little bit more confident. But you just you can see that he's always flinching. He's never like completely in his self. He's always a little bit off. And it is that like that he just doesn't have the confidence and it's fucking weird. But as you said, there was some interesting stuff here when it comes to his character. There was some I keep saying interesting, and it's just like such a fucking boring word to repeat over and over again. Um, there was some unique, there were some things that stood out, there were some some um uh singular nah, nah, nah whatever i'm trying to like come up with uh, uh other words to say the same meaning and and uh, i'm just it's not much better i'm, I'm sorry i'm failing you didn't, here you didn't, but, you didn't, um there was you didn't some care about, novel you care about this match <laughs> no, no what i'm saying is there was some there was like a, a novel nature to the way that anthony green was working mm. to the crowd here because normally when he looks to the crowd and he gestures to them it's in a positive light it's looking yeah. for reinforcement and here, this is one of the few times that I've seen him gesture to the crowd in a way that was a lot more aggressive and a lot more negative and a lot more like, yeah, fuck you. And I, and that was something that I could actually like say, oh, that's kind of, that's novel. That's uh, unique. That's something I have not seen from Anthony Green before. But that said, mechanically, this, there was nothing here super bad. Um, but I, I don't really care. Again, under 15 minutes. Every match on the show is under 15 minutes. Even the good matches, the bad matches, the in-betweens. We've just said it a million times, but Action Wrestling, Quentin, the most watchable wrestling company in the world. If that's what you judge a wrestling company on, Action Wrestling is the best wrestling company in the world. Uh, watchability, because, yeah, you can watch an, uh, an Action Wrestling company from top to bottom no matter what. Big shout out to Matt, you know, Matt Griffin, Matt the Mouth. He's been booking this company for long enough. It's gone from the high of the highs in times where I think me and you have both had this in our promotion of the year yeah. conversation to the lows and the doldrums to where we're saying, ah, you know, whatever, you can skip it. But the entire way through, every action show is insanely watchable. Matt is a great guy. Never heard a negative thing about him. Always super upstanding you know what i mean we're you know we're friendly friends i messaged him for the first time in a very long time earlier today and he responds back and you know talks my ear off the mat the mouth thing is not a gimmick <laughs> the guy is definitely the guy definitely loves to talk and he's got a he's got a gift for talking so so yeah action always worth worth the watch post-match eric royal comes out challenges ac back for the iwtv championship um, that's a match that I will enjoy watching again because these guys have great chemistry with each other. But yeah, Quentin, final thoughts on action as a promotion, Matt the Mouth <laughs> as a person, and AC Mac versus uh, versus uh, Air Royal. Always been uh been uh been 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 nice to us, so nothing but kind of was to say about Matt. But yeah, action is action in uh is in the same category as up as to as to where consistently, if I just want to watch a wrestling show, then they're just very easy to watch and sup and action are very different in how they're presented and the aesthetics and everything and, and everything and everything around there, the culture, the culture and vibe they go for completely done, completely different. Um, but they, but they're both in that same vein of there aren't many other wrestling uh, promotions out there that if you tell me a show drought that I'll be quicker to watch an action show, because even if it's not, great there's usually something very good on an action show and like you know i'm not gonna feel like i wasted my time watching it either yeah definitely and the diversity on the action shows i've talked to matt about this before and 
you know, I'm, I'm definitely feel that Matt is not like, you know, doing it just to check off boxes. It's just his natural inclination to book like a diverse card. Um, there's less women <laughs> than there used to be, which would be nice if he could bring some of that back the way that he used to book more women, but you know, whatever it is, what it is, especially in, you know, pandemic and all that. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely easy to watch. And you know what I just thought about as you were talking about that sup and action, you know what it is? It's uh it's a VH1 and MTV, <laughs> right? When that yeah. used to be a thing. It's you know, they're definitely presented differently, but it's very similar in, in what they're presenting, just totally different, different styles. Either way, Quentin, feel like we've uh talked enough. Feel like uh, I've talked enough. Uh do you want to uh Say the lovely closing <laughs> segment as you uh, always do. Yeah, uh, I can. Uh, I can do that. Oh wow! Actually, I should probably look this up real quick before we. Uh, before we do that, because I feel like I feel like oh. Sam uh, had did something that I should go back to. Uh, shit. Okay. Oh. Uh, well, Sam had uh, a link. A link tree. A link tree made up for us and. And has, oh yeah, he and did. Has uh, a coffee account made up for the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network. So if any of you want to uh, buy us a coffee, send any don't send any donations uh, to the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network, then that'll be appreciated. I will give Timothy the link to the link tree so he could put it in the description in the description in, in, the, in the description for the uh, yeah for the for the podcast upload. So if you kind of folks will be willing to do that then that would be appreciated. But as always, thank you all for listening and hope you'll be here next time.